Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. make a mock at sin but among the righteous there is favor and um, Solomon's writings of Proverbs of course I always enjoy reading the book of Proverbs so many times you just go back to the same well (laughs) and you just discover fresh water and uh, I trust that's what we can do tonight so I don't want to offend you with my uh, sermon title tonight I've rewritten this several different times so but um I just want to pose a question for all of us. I'm not asking you from me to you. I'm asking you from you to you and whoever may hear this message at any point online. But the title of my message tonight is a question. What kind of fool am I? What kind of fool am I? Amen. God bless you and you can be seated. I want to establish something right away here this evening and that is I understand that the word fool is not used much in our society today and I agree because there is a very negative connotation that comes with that however this is a word that the Bible uses and uses often and so we can't sweep it aside because we might find it offensive And uh, so I just ask you with that helping to set the stage, I'm not talking ugly this evening, we're just talking biblical, how's that? In the scripture there are basically two types of its use or the the use of the word fool. And so when when we look in what maybe some may refer to as the wisdom books, which of course is where we started with our text here tonight wisdom books like proverbs or the song of solomon or the book of ecclesiastes and perhaps there's other books that we could put under the umbrella of of wisdom books but when we consider the word fool in the context of wisdom books it is mainly used to describe a person who is rash or a person who is unreasonable in scripture this word is used with respect to, to uh, morals and, and uh, rather than intellectual deficiencies. And so I want to help establish that in our heart. So we're not talking about calling somebody a fool because they're not intelligent. But let's look at this biblically. And so when you see the word fool, it's not addressing someone that is lacking mental abilities, but it is... It is addressing people who are misusing their mental abilities. Does that make sense? And uh, so with that, with that set, let's launch uh, this evening. The word fool is primarily used in the context of a person that either has little 
are no fear of God. They're just living in this world, kind of adrift, set themselves, their lives by the, by the tides of life or the winds of life. And this word is not a word that's really easy for me to use. I'm just going to be honest with you because my parents taught me you don't call anybody a fool. And it was a bad word in our home. And so, and so uh, there's, there's, a, there's some, you know, I'm, I'm kind of measured in my comments here tonight. And that is not only just good teaching from a parental point of view and, and from society, but it is biblically based. And, and the, the words of Matthew 5 and 22, Jesus said, Whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. And so it's not something to be taken lightly by any, by any stretch of the imagination. But the expression referred to here is used in a moral sense, and it means wicked. And uh, it is equivalent to judging someone worthy of punishment. And so we, we, we put ourselves in a position of passing judgment on someone else. Or in other words, we are in danger of hellfire when we wrongfully judge someone. So I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to ask you up front just to remain seated and don't get up and run around and shout. But how many of us have ever passed judgment on someone or something until you heard the other side of the story? You just get one portion of that. And it's, and it's not, we don't mean that in an arrogant or pompous way, but we're human. And, and you just... You just draw this conclusion, and and you think, well, you know, oh my goodness, this is just so, this is low-hanging fruit. And then you realize, and I know that we all know underneath that there's two sides of every story, but then you do find out there is another side of that that completely tilts the scales sometimes in the complete opposite direction. But if nothing less, it does bring balance to whatever it was that we first heard and so that's what the scripture is saying. When we wrongfully judge someone, we're putting ourselves in danger of hellfire. Perhaps Isaiah 32 and 6 is a great definition for the word fool. And so for greater clarification, I'm, I'm going to read this out of the New King James Version just so that there's more English words used that we can understand it. Isaiah 32 and 6 says, For the foolish person will speak foolishness, and his heart will work iniquity to practice ungodliness, to utter error against the Lord, to keep the hungry unsatisfied, and he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. Now that's Isaiah's definition of a foolish man, a foolish person. A foolish person will speak foolishness, his heart will work iniquity, to practice ungodliness, to utter error against the Lord, and to keep hungry, to keep the hungry unsatisfied, and he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. It doesn't just sound foolish, that sounds cruel, doesn't it? Amen. And so this is the definition, Isaiah's definition of a fool. And so in Scripture, there are multiple types of fools that are described in Scripture. And so I want to spend a little while this evening and just talk about these various types of fools that are mentioned in scripture or at least described in scripture and so as we make this journey together this evening I want us to conscientiously ask ourselves what kind of fool am I where do I fit in to this equation I'm not asking you to pass judgment on anyone 
But I believe as we make this journey tonight that we can recognize this foolheartedness in others around us. Maybe that just people that you work with or maybe somebody in your family or a friend. But we can see this. And again, I'm not passing judgment, not asking you to pass judgment, but we see the characteristics of this. And so one of the first fools that the Bible talks about is a fool that perhaps we could call an atheistic fool. In the book of Psalms, chapter 14 and verse number 1, the Bible says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So that's an atheistic fool. There is no God. They are corrupt, the Bible says. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. And so I would like to begin this begin portion of this by saying I think there's a difference between what the psalmist is, is describing here. And I don't think that he's talking about somebody that just has a problem with faith. And so sometimes people may ignorantly say there is no God or assume there is no God. And so I don't want to sound critical this evening that somebody that just has some dip in their faith or some lack of understanding that they themselves would be a fool. That doesn't mean that they're this type of fool. This scripture, I believe, joins two powerful characteristics together for one thought, to form one thought. Because first, the psalmist says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So let's just put that portion on this shelf and talk about it for a moment because that's a powerful statement. The fool has said in their heart, there is no God, but it's joined together with something more significant. The Bible says they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. This is a person who has convinced themselves that there is no God and because of this, they live like they choose. They set the margin. They set the boundary. They set the, they set the temperature of the world they live in. And anybody can do this if they have convinced themselves there is no reconciliation day. We can just live to the wind if we convince ourselves that I'll never have to pay the price. I will never have to pay for this. I can just do whatever I want to do. And so if you live to the wind and you convince yourself that there is no God, amen, then, then we can just take all the boundaries away and all the borders away and we can just do anything that we think we're big enough to do. But how, I would ask this question, can a person that is just a mere mortal arrive at the conclusion that there is no God? Have, has that person been able to search the entire universe? Have we been able to go to the end of the end to determine if there is a God? How deep into the heart of the earth has that person that draws that conclusion traveled? Or, or have they managed, they themselves, somehow to go to the deepest part of the ocean to explore the majesty and the magnitude of God? So how could you conclude that there is no God? Certainly, you're aware that scientists have been to some depths, of course, but they come back saying that it is physically impossible to go to the deepest depths of the oceans we now have because of the pressure, that the pressure would, would just completely capture, uh, would completely uh, collapse any vessel. There's nothing strong enough. We know, tragically, that, that recently people have lost their lives trying to explore Deep deaths, trying to go. So if you haven't been to the end of the end 
And if we haven't been to the depth of the depth, then how could we conclude that there is no God? Amen. But the Bible teaches us and tells us, even in this scripture, how this person came to that conclusion. Because the Bible says that they said in their heart. Or let me phrase it another way. They looked in their heart. That's as far as they looked. They didn't go to the edge of the galaxy. They didn't go to the deepest part of the ocean. They just simply looked in their heart. But Jeremiah said in 17 and 9 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And then he posed the question, who can know it or who can trust it? And so I don't want to trust my heart. I don't want to just look in my heart and draw the conclusion that there is no God and that there would be no uh, day of reconciliation. And so that is the kind of fool I want to avoid. I, 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 don't, want to, I don't want to find myself in a spirit uh, of uh, an atheistic mindset that says there is no God. Then the scripture talks about perhaps someone we could title or label as a logical fool. And this kind of person that refuses to believe anything spiritual. Everything has to be logical. Everything has to be uh, simply because they can't make sense of it themselves. Then they say, well, that is it. I can't believe in that. If they can't comprehend it within their own mind, then they say it has to be false. Because it doesn't make any logical sense to me. But we understand that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts and you're never going to put God in a box and we're never going to be able to figure it all out. But Paul describes this kind of person in 1 Corinthians 15 and 35. The Bible says, But some man will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Verse 36 says, Thou fool! That thou which sowest is not quickened except it die. Now if we're just going to look at this in the sense of logic, this makes no sense whatsoever. When Paul says to those who deny that there was a resurrection, either of the believers on the last day and of Jesus Christ, he is trying to convince them and compel them that something cannot be quickened unless it first dies. So logically speaking, it makes no sense that to make something grow, you've got to kill it first. But the Bible talks about the grain, that unless it goes to the ground and dies, there's got to be a death in order for there to be life. But that, cannot, that can be found in many, many aspects of life. And so we could look at just a grain of corn and see the truth of all of that. Amen. So with this great truth, Paul speaks to all the fools in the universe who think that everything has to be logical in order for it to be true. I've got to be able to put it in a box. I've got to be able to see the beginning. And I've got to be able to see the end or it's not true. Because only a fool would really believe that truth is what only makes sense to them. Amen. There's many things in life I don't understand. Many things in life. I don't understand in, in, in its truest sense how electricity works. <laughs> I really don't. I don't understand how, I don't understand even how, I don't want to give too many things away and get you feeling sorry for myself or even worse, feeling sorry for your, yourself. But I don't understand the internet. I don't understand how, uh, I don't even understand how a, a, a mouse works on a screen and how you can, I don't understand how all of that works, but I, but it has never stopped me from believing that it's true. 
because we enjoy it. We, we drink of that cup often. We're enjoying some aspects of that right now. We don't understand all of that. But a fool, it would really be a foolish man that says it will only be true if it makes sense to me. Only a fool would live their life thinking that nothing greater than, than themselves or everything has to be comprehensible to me in order for it to be true. Because just because a person cannot grasp the supernatural ability of God does not make the word of God void. I mean, I don't understand how faith works. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't understand many things in Scripture. I don't understand all the aspects of healing. But I knew this, that God has touched my body and healed me. And he has strengthened me. I know there are other times that I would say that I came down for prayer and I didn't necessarily walk away with some healing. But I don't know what the Lord may have, may have or may not have accomplished in my life in that moment. But just because I can't grasp God's supernatural ability does not give me the right to say the word of God is void and it is all foolishness. Amen. And then there is the shameless fool. Our world seems to be nearing this condition, doesn't it? I asked my wife the other day, I don't even remember what it was on the heels of, but I asked my wife the other day, I said, does nothing embarrass people anymore? What happened to shame? What happened to embarrassment? Jeremiah asked a very sobering question in chapter 6, verse 15. He says, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. That's what Jeremiah said. Were they ashamed? No. No, they weren't, they weren't just a little bit not ashamed. He said they weren't at all ashamed. And they had lost their ability to blush. And much of our society, it seems, has lost its ability to feel shame. Amen. People can commit abominable acts today. And our world, it seems... It seems that our world just writes this off as an alternate lifestyle. But it's not how the Bible defines it. It's not how the Bible declares it to be so. The book of Proverbs discusses this type of fool. Proverbs says in, in 14 and 9, Solomon says, Fools make a mock at sin. Sin is a horrible thing. And God hates sin. If we could just see the end result of sin... I've often used the illustration that the billboard that's all lit and, 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 and multicolored and, and it just looks so promising, that's just one side of the billboard. But if you go around behind that billboard, that's where the thorns are growing and the thistles and the weeds. And, and so many times we see people that are just so loud and proud about the sin that they're involved in. But there is another side of this. There is a, there is a reckoning day. There is a time when all of this comes home. I have seen people, and again, I'm not being judgmental, but I have seen people that in the grips of just horrible vices of sin and I just think how sad, how pitiful, how pitiful it would be to be bound by sin. Sin is a horrible, horrible thing. It destroys lives. It destroys families. It destroys societies. It destroys nations. Sin is a horrible thing. And God hates sin. He hates sin. And so for us to act like sin is no big deal or for us to excuse sin and the lives of other people is, is to say that God's sacrifice for sin was meaningless. It didn't have any value. I mean, it's a very shameless fool that would say that, and that is a very dangerous thing. 
I believe that there is a difference, a huge difference between someone that is chained and bound by their sin, not knowing and understanding that there is a way out, and a person who knows to do right but refuses to do right. And so I'm not talking about people innocently bound by sin, but I'm talking about people that just keep walking back into it when they know there is a way out. They know there is another way. This kind of person and that kind of sin, that's something that we could not and cannot associate with. I'm not, I'm not saying that we should shun them. I'm not suggesting that at all. But I'm just telling you when somebody thinks there is nothing wrong with what they're doing, we've got to make a decision, a serious decision. I, I again, often said to people that, that we've had to make decisions. I've had to make these decisions. Many of you have had to make decisions in your life. I have to ask myself, who's having the greater influence in this relationship? If I am influencing them to the good, I want to hang in there. I want to pray and ask God, even when I can't see fruit of my investment, I want to hang in there. But when I feel like that they are having more influence on me than I'm having on them, I've got a serious decision to make because they may be shamelessly involving themselves in sin when they realize there's a way out. I mean, they're making a mockery of sin. And then there is the thoughtless fool. The thoughtless fool. Jesus described this thoughtless fool in Matthew 27. It's here Jesus shares the parable of two builders. One builds on the rock. The other builds on the sand. The one building on the rock is likened to us building on the truths of God's word. Because heaven and earth shall pass away. But his word is going to stand. And so... So building on the rock is building on the truth of God's word. The one building on the sand are are the people that are building on the things of this world. The ever shifting sands of life. The fool is thoughtless because he spends his whole life building. Think about that. But never considers what he's building on. So it's not that this person is lazy. It's not that this person is, uh, it's not that this person is fruitless in their life. They are building, but they're not, they're not considering what they're building on. A wise person, before they spend a lot of money, before they, before they invest a lot of time into something, they're going to first make sure this is a worthy investment. I want to see what we're building on. I want to drive down to the bedrock of this thing and make sure that this is right because they understand this, that the sun may be out today and the sky may be beautifully blue, But there is coming a day that the storms will be here. And so i got to consider what I'm building on because it it may not be raining now, but it will be. The wind and the storm may not be today, but I know that it's coming. And so I've got to make sure that I am going to build on the right thing because what I'm building is going to be tested. It is going to be tried. And so how foolish it would be to invest in something that doesn't have a good foundation. A wise man thinks... A wise man ensures that what I'm doing is going to stand the test of time. It's going to stand the test of time. It's going to take just as much energy to do something foolish as it would be to do something wise. I remember many, many years ago now, and uh, my, my uncle Daniel, who's since passed, but he had taken down a lot of fence, old fence, field fence, and it was just rolled up out in his field, and... and uh, so I was going to put up some fence, and so I asked him, what are you going to do with all that fence? He said, well, I'm just going to get rid of it. I said, well, can I have it? He said, well, sure. He said, what do you want it for? I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to put up some fence. He goes, all right, you can have that. He paused, and he said, just think about something now. It takes just as much effort to put up old fence 
as it does to put up new fence. <laughs> Think about this. A lot of wisdom wrapped up in those few words. You want to go to all the trouble to put something up that's already 20 years old? <laughs> and so a wise man is going to think, what am I doing? Am I investing my time wisely? I let him have his old fence. I went and bought some new fence. He was right. It takes just as much effort. And so a wise man is going to consider, what am I doing? Am I wasting my time? Am I building on a solid rock? Amen. A wise man ensures first, but a thoughtless man doesn't live past the moment. It's just here and now, right now, and I'll invest everything in, here and, in the here and now. People can warn them. People can stand in the road and try to flag them down and try to point the other way. But because there's no storm clouds today, that thoughtless person is going to consider all is well, all is well. All of their hope for the future rests upon what they can build here and now and what they can build in this life. And they never consider that one day this life is going to end and it greatly matters what you build on. It greatly matters. I understand that being in the ministry and, and being a part of not only life but also being a part of death really drives this point home to me. But I want to tell you something. I've never visited anyone. I want to sound crass this evening. But I've never visited anyone in a hospice or under hospice care that was worried about anything in this life. They weren't worried about what they own. They're not worried about the price of fuel. They're not worried about their next electric bill. Because all of a sudden the end. And I'm talking about even people that have made their peace call on election. Sure. All that matters right now is what we've been building on all these years. Amen. And so I say, Lord, help me to receive the warning and not live in this moment and just live for this day. I've got to ask myself, what kind of fool am I? Because we're going to find ourselves somewhere here this evening before we go home. We're going to find ourselves somewhere here this evening because it's in the Word of God. Amen. They never considered that one day everything we're building, we're going to have to, we're going to have to stand before the Lord and we're either going to be blessed because we built on the Word of God or everything we built in this life is all going to be destroyed because it's over. Over. Amen. And then, then there is the industrious fool. Examples of this can be found in the book of Luke, chapter 12, verse number 18. The Bible says of this particular man, he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God, but God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thou soul, thou, thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Whose fruit are we going to have, be talking about then? And, and whose barn is that going to be? And, and it's not going to matter then. Tonight, tonight is a reconciliation. Tonight we're going to have to stand before me and it won't matter whose barn. It won't matter whose size or what size. Tonight it's all going to be required. 
So is he, he said, that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Amen. I want to tell you that there's nothing wrong with a barn and there's nothing wrong with fruit and there's nothing wrong with you having something. Amen. He said the Bible, the Bible says, so is he that layeth up treasures for himself but is not rich toward God. And so I say, Lord, just prosper us and let us be in good health. But only prosper us as much in this natural life as you do in this spiritual life. Because I don't want to gain the world and lose my soul. I don't want to accept something in this life that would be a, a shining apple, so to speak, a golden apple that would take me out of your will or away from your word. And so, but hear me tonight, God can prosper you. God can prosper me. And we can still have the Holy Ghost. And we can still live a righteous life. And we still can be a moral individual. And then we can be spiritual. And so he said, it layeth up treasures for himself, but not rich toward God. There's where the problem comes. So he said, this will I do. I will pour down my barns and, and build greater barns. And there will I bestow my fruits and goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much good laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat and drink and be merry. But God said, tonight, tonight, this is going to be required of you tonight, reckoning day. This person, this kind of person that I'm talking about, sadly would not be frowned upon in our society. We would say, boy, they're a hard worker. By the world's standards, he's wise, or they are wise because they are successful. This person isn't a skeptical or an atheist. This person certainly couldn't be called lazy. Amen. Amen. Or necessarily a person accused of mocking sin. But the problem is this, that earthly goods are the only things they're concerned about. Here and now. And think nothing about eternity. Nothing about eternity. And so to gain earthly riches and to pass up eternal riches is a foolish, foolish thing. Because the writer, James, compared our lives to a vapor. And so we have to live with eternity in mind. Live with eternity in mind. I'm not trying to sound morbid tonight, but I can tell you that life is moving so quickly. Brother Osborne opened our service tonight and in some opening words just talked about the fact that we're about to bid farewell to this year. It doesn't even seem possible at all. And I know that can sound really trite to some, but it really doesn't seem possible. And so I can understand every day and every year and every decade that I live that life really is a vapor. And it is here for just a moment. Oh, you're trying to be morbid? No, I'm not trying to be morbid at all. I'm trying to say, Lord, help me to make sure I'm investing in the right thing because I, I want to figure out what kind of fool am I? What kind of fool am I? That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient is the day Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. I do believe that God wants us to work and be wise. and, and uh, Amen. But if we're going to neglect eternity in the middle of all that, then he would rather us not give one thought about what we're going to eat tomorrow. If we're going to have to have one or the other, the Lord would say, take no thought of tomorrow and only worry about eternity. Stay focused on eternity. Another kind of fool that the Bible describes, perhaps we could call a self-confident fool. Paul describes this person in Romans 1. Romans 1, 21. Because that when they knew God, 
they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. That's a profound line right there. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools because the Bible says that their foolish heart was darkened. My goodness, what a powerful statement. One of the great plagues of society that we deal with today. Amen. This man is not a is a fool, but not because they believe there is is not because he doesn't believe there's a God, but simply because they refuse to give God the honor he deserves. This person became vain in their imaginations. That's what the Bible says. They think they're wise because they profess that there is a God, but they refuse to live a life that glorifies God in the meantime. Yeah, there's a God. But that's for them and those. There is a God. But that's a self-confident fool. A person that substitutes the true will of God for their lives, for their own will. I will do what I want to do. And in doing so, they refuse to seek what God wants out of them. What would you have me to do? Amen. I, I believe there's several people, if not most people in this building tonight, that ask God daily, what would you have me to do today? I yield myself to you. Order my steps in your word. Let not iniquity have any dominion in my heart. Lord, just order myself. Help me to walk confidently. Help me to walk boldly, but also help me to walk circumspectly. Circumspectly, Help me to walk carefully, cautiously, and yet give me the courage and the boldness that I need. I don't know what this day holds. I don't know who I'll meet. I don't know who I'll, I'll talk to. We never know when the phone rings what's going to be on the other end of that. God, help me today. Help me today to do your will. Amen. I, I, want to, I don't want to be so self-confident. I don't want to be so in, 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 uh, engaged in my own thoughts and, and in love with my own ideas that I refuse to, to realize I need you. I need your anointing. I need your authority in my life. Amen. They are so confident that they're saved, so secure and so wise. All the time they are becoming more and more foolish because their heart is getting darkened. Amen. We, 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 we are not going to be judged by what we know. We're going to be judged by what we had an opportunity to know. If we were only judged on what we know, it would be beneficial to go through life ignorant. Amen. I'm being very serious. If we're only going to be judged on what we know, we can walk around with our fingers in our ears and say, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. Who much is given, much is required. So I don't want to know anymore. So I won't be required. But it's not what we know that we're going to be judged on. It's what we had an opportunity to know. Amen. I've used the illustration so many times. But bear with me tonight. Ezekiel was, was given some of the most difficult marching orders of all people that I know in Scripture concerning ministry. And certainly effective ministry. Or what we would call effective ministry. But the Lord said... All of this that they might know there was a prophet among them. And so when someone in eternity says, I didn't know, all God is going to have to do is pull Ezekiel to the forefront. You didn't know it, but you had an opportunity to know it. Because here was the voice and here was the mouthpiece, but you mocked him. 
and you made fun of him. You ridiculed him. You kept him at arm's length. You would not let him in your life. And so you're going to be judged and charged by what, by what you had an opportunity to know. Amen. I'll ask our musicians to come if they will. And the last fool I want to talk about tonight, and I ask this question, what kind of fool am I? Is a fool for Christ. Paul writes about this person in 1 Corinthians 4 and 10. And he absolutely uses this terminology. We are fools for Christ's sake. But ye are wise in Christ. We are weak. But ye are strong. You are honorable. But we are despised. You see each one of us in life has a choice. We can either be viewed as a fool in the eyes of this world. Are viewed as a fool in the eyes of God. I want to say that again. We have a choice. We can be viewed as fools in the eyes of the world. Or we can be viewed in the, as a fool in the eyes of God. One of them is temporary. And one of them is eternal. We have a choice. We need to make sure we're standing in the right line. Paul, Paul writes this. As a man of great understanding, Paul gets this. This is not Paul just spewing. This is Paul speaking from experience in his own life. Paul was an educated man. However, I find it interesting that this educated man who sat at the feet of one of the greatest teachers of, of their day, Paul, his student, was known in their society. He was known, he was recognized as a well-educated man. But after Paul's conversion, I want you to follow me now, after his conversion, the Jews called him a babbler. Think about this now. Here's this educated man who's got all kind of letters behind his name, degrees on the wall. And he was recognized as such until his conversion. After his conversion, the Jews, the masses of people called him a babbler. He stood before Festus and Festus said, Paul, you're mad. He wasn't talking about angry. He said, you're crazy. Paul, you're crazy. It's odd, right? These men knew his background. And as long as Paul was living just like they were living, he was highly regarded. Saul of Tarsus. Let me see that degree one more time. Saul, show me your badge again. But when he made his peace call with the Lord on that Damascus road. The masses called him a babbler. Festus called him a, a, a madman. As soon as he started preaching Christ he was called a fool. And it's not really that different today. As long as people in sin live in sin. They're just embraced as normal. Now, I'm fixing to come right down where the rubber hits the road, but I am warning you. Because I've watched this play out over and over and over and over. As long as somebody is living in sin, everything is all right. 
But you let that same person receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and stop doing all those sinful things. Start going to church instead of going to the barroom. Start, start living for God instead of living for the devil. And listen to what the world says. You're a fanatic. You're radical. Amen. I'm not on a soapbox tonight, I promise. I'm speaking the truth. I'm speaking the absolute truth. And this is what happened to Saul. And it's what happens to, to, to everybody. And we have a choice. And so I have to decide if I'm going to be a fool in this world or if I'm going to be a fool to this world. Because eternity is in the balances. And I've got to be careful. I've got to be careful. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Sadly, I have watched people through the years make their way to a cross, to the foot of the cross, and give their life to God and have a great experience with the Lord. And I've watched so much pressure come against them, sometimes from their own families. But certainly, if not families, friends. and Amen. Sad, isn't it? So I have to ask myself, what kind of fool am I? Because I'm probably going to find myself in one of these categories. The Bible seems to kind of bookend all of us. And if I'm going to have to be a fool, I want to be a fool for Christ's sake. I want to stand on His word. They mocked Ezekiel. They made fun of him in a cruel manner. But it's not going to be funny in eternity. There'll be no one laughing there. Amen. God help us to do your will. Amen. Let's magnify him together in this song. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.